Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Our current series is Everyday Saints, a study of the book of Ephesians, looking into what we have and who we are in Jesus. And we're going to dive into Ephesians chapter 5. We've been walking on Sunday mornings through the book of Ephesians, looking at Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus and uh, what he has, and how he has instructed the church at Ephesus. And let me just kind of give you the brief overview, the flyby first, because if you haven't been here and we're just diving into this passage here in particular, you're going to miss out on something great that Paul is doing. Because Paul is not just saying to a few people, hey, do this. Or it's not just a letter. Like I, Nobody writes letters anymore. But you send an email and it's a few instructions. It's a few, hey, could you check this and you know, make sure this thing works, so that sort of thing. You send an email and there's usually some instructions there. But you miss the context of the relationship. Um, you miss the context of, of, of what the big picture is. And sometimes I think if you look at some of these later passages of Ephesians, you can look at some of the instructions that Paul has. Like um, like he says in, in chapter 4, he says, uh, let the thief no longer steal. And you get like hear that and Paul's like, all right, it's, you know, no stealing. Stealing is bad, you shouldn't do it. And you can kind of hear that and like, yeah, that seems like a good instruction. I probably should stop ripping people off. And so I'm going to do that. But you miss putting that into the, pic- the bigger picture of the relationship that Paul has with the church at Ephesus. And so if you flip through your Bibles and just kind of get the sense of where Paul's going, the first few chapters of uh, Paul's letter here really have nothing to do with just instructions. Paul doesn't just start saying, hey, you need to go here, do this, stop doing this. Paul talks about the relationship between what, what we have as Christians and God. What, what, this, what God is doing in this grand scheme of things. And he talks about God's big, sovereign plan to rescue a people, to draw them to himself, to readopt them into his family, to call them sons and daughters, to save them and rescue them and redeem them. And Paul talks about that gigantic plan of God and gives us this grand sense of what God is doing in the world, and then fits us into it. He fits little churches like the church at Ephesus into this big picture of how God is renewing and restoring, redeeming and saving. And so Paul talks that through and gives us this, 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 uh, this image of this amazing, magnificent, massive plan that God has orchestrated to save and redeem. And then Paul says, as we get into chapter 4, you see this really important transition in chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Uh, Paul was at that time a prisoner, um, uh, in prison for his preaching of the gospel. Paul says, Therefore, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. And that idea is really important for us as we look at the instructions that Paul has for churches in the latter half of Ephesians. Because Paul doesn't just say, go and do this. Paul says, because God has done this, walk in a worthy manner. Walk in a worthy manner. And I don't know if you've ever had somebody do something just amazingly gracious for you. But there usually elicits a response. If I, if I came up to you after our, our service and our gathering, the band played a couple more songs and we dismissed, and on the way out I just stopped you and said, hey, um, been thinking about you and you know just been praying about you and for, for whatever reason I just wanted to bless you and here's a check for 10 grand. Um, most of all, you would, you would realize that that check would bounce very quickly and so you'd be skeptical and a little concerned and wondering what I'm doing um, 
And, uh, but if I did something like that, and let's just say you had some need, you, you had encountered some problems and, um, you know, there's just, you didn't know what to do. And I, I was able to bless you that in that way. Doing that would not just, you'd be thankful in general, but you would also have a relationship with me that was different, right? Our relationship would be different because of that. There would be a response. I know when my wife or my kids have done something surprising that has blessed me and cared for me, there's a response. There's a, there's a, a heart response that leads to actions. And my kids will, at times, make me a cup of coffee out of the blue, right? Just a nice gesture. Dad likes coffee, and it's a safe bet anytime during the day. If we bring him a cup of coffee, he's going to appreciate that, right? Um, and so, at times, that happens. And there's just this, this relationship between my kids that just has this tender moment, this response moment, where I'm blessed by my kids, they understand me a little bit, they know me and love me and care for me in that way, and so I want to do something for them. And probably, in the grand scheme of things, they're giving me coffee so that they can get candy in return. I'm sure there's some devious plan around all of this. But there's this new relationship that is formed, this new dynamic to the relationship. And what Paul is saying is that God is not just a tyrant God who hovers over people and just starts yelling at them to do certain things. Paul is saying that God is a generous, good, saving, rescuing God who has called people to follow him, who has saved them, who has brought people into his family, into his kingdom. And as we understand the magnificence of what God has done for us, it demands and creates a response. And Paul says, therefore, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And so in chapter 4, he talks about the unity of the church. And related to that, the end of chapter 4 is how we talk to one another, how we speak of one another, how we think of one another. And Paul will give us very uh, specific instructions about truth-telling, about anger, about bitterness and wrath and clamor and slander, he says, in verse 31. And then he sums it up in verse 32 as he talks about what God has done in bringing people into this community of Christ followers called the church. He says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And so even at the end of chapter 4, you see that reminder that this is not just a list of instructions There's something connected here in Paul's list of instructions. There's something connected to what God has done. God has forgiven. And you see that again in verse 1 of chapter 5. He says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. God has adopted us as children through the saving work of Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection. And then Paul says, because God has saved you, imitate him, follow him, live like Christ lived, love like Christ loved. And Paul said that in verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so Paul will always connect our responsibilities and our calls to action with Jesus' work and Jesus' love for us. Now in this next passage then, and we're going to tackle a lot here, Paul's going to give us some very instru- uh, specific instructions, and he's going to call us to certain things, to avoid certain behaviors, and to live in certain ways. But let me ask you this, before we kind of get into the details of chapter 5 here. Why do you do the things you do? Right? Why, why do you make the choices you make? I don't know, I might be more 
introspective than some people, and sometimes I wonder those things. Why did I get up at 5 o'clock that morning and 8 o'clock the next morning? Why did I make that choice to set my alarm that day? Why did I do those things? Even think about your afternoon. Um, On a typical Sunday, some of you will go home, flip on the television, make some nachos, and sit there for four hours watching men or women throw a ball around. Some of you will make that choice on a Sunday afternoon. Some of us will make that choice this afternoon. Um, Some of us will go home and will go outside because there's this giant yellow orb in the sky that we enjoy sitting underneath and we'll take a walk and maybe with a friend or a family, we'll make that decision. Some of us will go home, we'll grab a quick bite and then we're off to the mall because it's Sunday and Sunday's a free day for us and so we can go shopping and we can go to Kohl's or Target or wherever your store is. Some of us will go home and we'll clean and we'll work on our car and we'll work in the garage and we'll start doing that lawn work that now that you can see some of that lawn maybe needs to be done, there's sticks all over your yard, you'll have those sorts of choices and you'll go home and do your chores. Some of you will go home and you'll spend the next six or seven hours in front of a computer. Well, why do you do those things? Some of you are, I don't know, this is what I always do, right? Well, we we all have certain behavior patterns that we tend toward. Um, Some of those behavior patterns are morally neutral. It's, you know, if you go home and watch a ball game, that's fine. If you go home and clean, that's fine. If you go home and hang out with your family, that's good, I guess. Some of those things are, are somewhat morally neutral. Some of those things are what the Bible terms sin, some of the activities that we engage in. The Bible says we're, we're building our life around something other than Jesus. And some of these activities that we engage in are good, God-honoring decisions. Why do we do them? Well, Scripture, throughout the pages of Scripture, Scripture repeatedly tells us that there are some things, as those who love Jesus and follow him, there are some things that we are to do. And there are some things that we are not to do. There are guidelines for living in the Bible, even though the Bible is so much more than a rule book. We talk often here about the grace of God and the salvation of God and the the love of God towards us. But we must admit that the Bible has some specific instructions for us. There are things that we are called to do. But you have to remember here that the great command arcing over the second half of the book of Ephesians is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling we have received. So remember, God has called us, Christ has saved us, us, the Spirit has sealed us, and we are now to walk in a worthy manner as those called by God. And Paul's instructions here have this language of putting on and taking off. He says we are to put on Christ, become more and more Christ, wrap ourselves in Christ, taking on his characteristics and identity, and putting off our old, selfish, sinful ways. So last week we looked at some of those old, sinful ways that we are to put off. We looked at things like bitterness, like anger, like dishonesty. And Paul says that just doesn't belong in someone who has been rescued and redeemed by Christ. It doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't, there's no consistency in that choice or in that behavior. Paul will also say, though, that avoiding some actions doesn't solve everything. It may keep us out of certain problem areas, but it doesn't deal with our heart. So I could get up here this week, and as we walk through this passage, we'll see that Paul talks about things like coarse joking or sexual immorality. 
And I could make these great prophetic statements towards you and say, don't do these things. And you could resolve and sign your name on a card that you will not resort to unwholesome talk ever. And so you put your card and you make this statement and we sign this thing and we're going to just do it. But it doesn't deal with our heart, just that resolve to change. It doesn't deal with why we do those things, why we make those choices. You can't solely avoid things. You can't just resolve to stop something. You'll fail at that. I'm going to guess that many of you have made certain commitments in the past, certain um, uh, resolves, and you've failed. Maybe a few months ago you made a New Year's resolution. Drop a certain amount of weight, stop checking Facebook every 15 minutes, whatever it was for you, and you struggled with that. You can't simply stop behavior. I don't think you can. It has to be an exchange. Let me just kind of illustrate this a little bit. If I just tell you to stop something, it's going to be a difficult road for you. I've got to to redirect. And those of you who have kids know this. You can't tell a three-year-old, stop running, because then they don't know what to do. You have to redirect, right? This basic parental 101. Those of you who have young children, you'll learn this by experience or by instruction. But if a child is running crazy through the house and there's a bunch of china and glassware around, you can't just say stop running because they won't know what to do. Their head will almost literally explode. You have to tell them you need to walk in the house. You need to redirect them. You don't need to give them all the reasons why necessarily, but you have to redirect them. And I have to do that with you too sometimes, right? If I just said, don't think about pirates. How many of you were able to obey me on that one? No, you weren't. You were all thinking about pirates. You were thinking about peg legs and eye patches and, yeah, exactly, the letter R, right? You're all thinking about pirates. I have to redirect you. Now, all of a sudden, if I said start, you know, I have to give you something to replace that. And so what Paul's going to do in this passage, what he's done in earlier passages, he's going to take a behavior that just is not consistent with who Christ is and what God is doing in the church. Like earlier he said, this, this uh, bitterness and talking uh, uh, slander towards other people. Paul's not going to just say, be quiet, shut up, people. He's going to say, build other people up. He's going to replace things. And in this next passage, Paul's going to take the idea of sexual immorality and say, he's not just going to say, stop being immoral, He's going to give us something, an alternative. He's going to redirect us here. So for everything that we put off, we must put something on. Just because I've removed some dirty, nasty clothes doesn't mean the problem is solved. I need clean clothes after a shower. And so in this passage, Paul's going to give us many different commands. And I want you to see that. I'm going to read through uh, 21 verses here. So bear with me as I read a rather long chunk of Ephesians. This is from Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, Therefore, Be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, and you see the replacement, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. 
Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is Paul's instructions here. Lots of it, isn't there? There's a lot of different stuff in here. and I have no way that I'm going to tackle every little question and detail that might come out of this passage. You can email me or talk to me later if we want to go into some of the details here. But I've got to kind of give you a big sense of this. Paul has four big commands that dominate this passage. In verse 1, he's going to say, be imitators of God. In other words, God is our perfect father. We're beloved children. We need to imitate our father. In verse 2, he's going to instruct us that we need to live a life of love. Be marked by compassion and love. In verse 8, Paul is going to say, Live as children of light. Don't be associated with evil. And in verse 9, he's going to instruct us, Find out what pleases the Lord. Be actively looking for good. What pleases our Father? How do we make God... Uh, how, do we, how do we live for God? And then in verse 5, there's a, a bit of a summary statement. He says, Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. In other words, Paul is instructing, in verse 15, Paul instructs us and says, think through your decisions, think through your activities, think through your choices, and ask yourself, can I glorify God in this? Now, one thing that's in this passage that is incredibly important, because if I just read this, and I was talking to a bunch of junior hires or high schoolers or college students or adults, any group of people, if I just read this, the dominant tone, the dominant thing that people are going to take away from this is don't. Right? I mean, that just feels what this passage is saying. Don't be immoral. Right? Don't be crude jokers or sexually immoral people. That's the, 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 the command that sort of dominates this passage when we read it. But there's something that Paul has done in here that's very, very important, and it has to do with this idea of replacement. And you'll see it in a couple different places here. In verse, um, at the end, excuse me, in verse, uh, uh, verse 20, Paul says that we are to give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see that there? Give thanks, Paul says. And in verse 4, Paul does instruct us, there's no foolish talk, no crude joking, those things are out of place, but instead, let there be what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And so Paul's going to take all these different things. This, has, this doesn't belong in a person who's following Christ. We should be thanks, thankful instead. And this understanding of what God has given us, what God is doing with us as a church, how God loves us, that sort of 
feeling, that, uh, that response to that understanding of what God has done is what is to dominate our lives as we follow Christ. And then all these other things that Paul says, all these other things, Paul's just saying those don't belong. Because when you're doing that, Paul will say, it's idolatry. You see that in verse 5? All these things, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, it's idolatry. You're following after some other alternative God. That's what Paul's going to instruct us here. Most of us have lived a very, um, un, I don't know if we live uncareful lives, but we live fairly greedy lives. We tend to think, what's going to give me the most pleasure? What's going to give me the most um, the most joy. How do I live for myself? And Paul's going to give us a, a, a broader instruction here and a greater purpose here. But the question is, is how do we change? Paul's saying this immorality, this impurity, this covetousness, this coarse joking, all these sorts of things, drunkenness, debauchery, those don't belong in our lives. But how do we change? The Change is not going to happen just by signing a card. Change is going to happen when we understand why we do what we do. And each of these will have a different basis or motivation. Paul says, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. We have to understand what it means to be brought into the family of God. Verse 1, Paul says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Paul's first instruction for us in this passage is understand your identity as someone whom God has loved and brought into his family. Understand that you are not your own. You're bought with a price. God has put his saving work upon you, sent Christ to rescue you, brought you into his family. Understand that, Paul says. So we must think, how do we see God? How do we think of God? When we think of God, do we think of that angry, tyrant father? Or do we think of a loving, caring father? A father who loves his children, who looks at us and says, these are my beloved children. It changes how you relate to God, which one of those you associate with, isn't it? If you think of God as a tyrant, you live in fear and cower under him. You may obey, but it's done out of fear. If you think of God as a loving father, your response to him is one of heartfelt affection and love. You want to please him because he has loved you. Paul says, live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. We have to understand the sacrificial love of God. We have to understand uh, in the first verse what it means to be dearly loved children, but here we have to understand that Jesus came for us. Jesus gave himself up for us. Jesus sacrificed himself for us. For us. Jesus died in our place. We deserved God's wrath, but Jesus took that upon himself. So how much is the gospel on your mind? Are you reflecting on it? Are you thankful for that? Are you thankful for God's fatherly love? And are you thankful for Jesus' sacrifice in your place? Paul says, live as children of light. We have to understand that we have been brought out of darkness into light. We have to find out what it pleases the Lord. Understand the goodness and righteousness and truth of God. And then be careful how we live. Understanding the times, knowing the mission we have, revering Christ. So here's the the question. Paul kind of gives this instruction. He lays out both the positive and the negative. He says, what does it mean to imitate God? We have to understand 
and we have to revere. There has to be an understanding of here's who God is, and here's what Christ has done, and there has to be a reverence of uh, following God, that God has done something for us, and so we live these lives of thanksgiving. So what does it look to live at what does it look like to live as children of light? How are these commands fleshed out in real life? And Paul will give us some very specific instructions here. What must be put off in conjunction with putting on Christ? And as Paul says this, he says in uh, verse 3, not a hint of sexual immorality. Not a hint of sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness. He says that that just doesn't belong. It doesn't belong in someone whose life is lived and for Christ and who has been saved by Christ. And so usually when you kind of give those instructions, and as a pastor and a guy who's done youth ministry, and you kind of talk about sexual immorality, and you talk about sex, and all this kind of stuff, you ask these questions, and you talk through this, and somebody always goes, okay, does that mean I can't? Well, maybe. I don't know. What's, where's the line we usually ask with these things? Are we allowed to do this sort of thing? If you have to ask, I don't know. It gets all kinds of messy. It gets very messy at times. Paul just says, listen, we've been saved by Christ. We don't have to seek our meaning in our sexuality. Our identity is not wrapped up in our sexuality. Our identity is wrapped up in Christ. Paul connects it with covetousness or greed. And he says that sexual immorality and impurity is equal to greed. You see that in verse 5, or excuse me, verse 3? But sexual immorality in all impurity or covetousness. Sexual immorality is not just an expression of who you are. Often, when we operate outside the boundaries that God has given us, it's greed. We're seeking pleasure for ourselves. We're seeking our identity in something other than what God has laid out. It's an obsessive quest for more and a complete lack of satisfaction in what God has given us. Paul will talk about obscenity and coarse joking in the next verse. He says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. These are out of place. It's an undisciplined mouth. It's someone who joins in the crude conversation. It's the junior high locker room talk about inappropriate things. It's the coarse joking, dirty jokes, and sexual innuendos. And Paul says all of this is idolatry. This is not just naughty behavior, Paul says. This is idolatry. Paul says this sort of behavior is worshiping something other than Jesus. Now, quite often when we talk about sexual immorality in churches, we make those lists and we say, don't do these things and put on this behavior. But what Paul is saying is connecting it to something even greater, even more personal, and it's a gut check here. Because if your life is filled with pornography, with sexual immorality, with inappropriate conversations, it's not just that you have crossed a line. You're worshiping something else. And Paul says you're, you're, you're an idolater. You're worshiping and living for something else. The Bible is not... Some, very often when, when Christians and pastors and everything talk about sex and talk about uh, the relationship that God has uh, blessed a husband and a wife with, we tend to give it, uh, it can be very negative about it. And Paul kind of talks about the negative here. The story of Scripture, though, is a story of God blessing and celebrating this relationship that he has given. God created Adam and Eve as husband and wife and commanded them to be fruitful and multiply. You do that, you obey that commandment, it takes certain behavior, and God blesses that relationship, celebrates that relationship within the proper boundaries. God gifts us with this idea, uh, with this relationship of sex between a husband and wife. 
And then in verse, in this passage, Paul says, when we go outside of those boundaries, we're worshiping something else. We're worshiping something else. And so Paul, throughout this passage, is pointing us towards our heart. What are we worshiping? What are we worshiping here? The distinction between not participating and actually standing up for the uh, for for uh, for those uh, in in need is is made known here. Paul says, "Know what sin is in yourself and in your culture." Later on, he'll talk about drunkenness. He'll talk about debauchery or reckless living, and Paul will give this stack of lists here and all these things that just don't belong. And Paul says, "What are you worshiping with your decisions and choices?" And the alternative, Paul says, is thanksgiving. People satisfied with God. And when, those, when you're satisfied with God, you're not hungry for sin. You don't worship idols when you're consumed by a worship with God. So not only should the children of light not be participating in these actions, but there must not be partnership with those who are speaking and acting in this way. Paul says our lives need to be marked by something different. Our Father has adopted us as sons and daughters, and so there should be goodness and righteousness and truth in our lives. And then in verse, um, it, it, later on he'll say, don't be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, how are we filled with the Spirit? What does that even mean? We can get pretty confused on that statement, and Paul will give us instructions on how to obey that one. Be filled with the Spirit, and here's how. You address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Very often we can take a statement like be filled with the Spirit and we can give some kind of hyper-spiritual, mystical meaning to that and it can be very confusing. You say, what what does filling of the Spirit look like? Here's what Paul's going to say. It's a community of people who understand what God has done and who are speaking and singing that to one another. And the Spirit of God, God the Spirit, inhabits the conversation and the words of his people and directs their thoughts towards God. So as you talk to each other, as we sing here in a little bit, we remind each other of the gospel. We sing hymns and spiritual songs. We make melody with our hearts and our mouths. We give thanks for anything and always for everything to God the Father. And as we do that, as we sing together, as we speak to one another, we, the Spirit of God, works. Now, so, so sometimes you take, like, be filled with the Spirit, and like, we think, okay, I've got to go off on this mystical journey and go wander in the woods, and then this, some weird thing will happen. It's not anything weird or different. What, ha- what Paul is saying here is a filling of the Spirit is when a community of people are focused on Jesus, their songs and their conversations are talking about the gospel, and the Spirit of God works in our hearts to take the words that my neighbor might be singing, and even though he's got a horrible voice and can't sing at all, when I hear him worshiping Jesus and directing my thoughts towards Jesus, God's Spirit works in that sort of thing. And as God's people sing and celebrate, give thanks, and speak to one another, it, God's Spirit works. We're filled with that. God's Spirit fills us and fills this room, fills this community. And Paul says, so often our communities are chasing after other idols, chasing after all sorts of things, when what we need to be doing is reminding ourselves and focusing on Jesus, living for Christ, always giving thanks to God our Father for everything. Listen, my thoughts will naturally 
be directed towards what I don't have, right? We can, if, if we just start thinking, we can very easily start to catalog our lives and say, I don't have this sort of relationship, I don't have this, this sort of um, bank account, I don't have this, this sort of car, whatever it might be. We can very easily direct our thoughts to what we don't have. Usually when we're alone and we can get a little mopey, we kind of get in that mood, right? And what Paul's going to say here is, be filled with the Spirit. And you're going to have a hard time doing that by yourself. If you just sit there and try to redirect your thoughts, you're going to have a hard time. Just like not thinking about pirates. It's going to be a difficult journey for you. But Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, and that happens in the context of the community. And I would say this, you can't be filled with the Spirit unless you have the aid of the Christian community. But God, in his graciousness, gives us people who can remind us of what God has done, can remind us of God's loving fatherhood, can remind us of Christ's sacrifice, can remind us of God's work. And as we sing to one another, as we make melody with musicians and instruments, and as we sing out the grace and gospel of God, as we speak to one another, it reminds us of Jesus, and the Spirit fills us and directs us, satisfies us. It results in thanksgiving. We're thankful for what God has done and continues to do. It's, it's very easy, very easy for us to think what we don't have. It's difficult for us to celebrate what we do have. But when we have a community of people who can help us and come alongside us, things change. When I have people in my life my wife, sometimes my kids, who can say, this is what God has done and is doing. It reminds me of the gospel. When I have friends like many of you here who can come alongside me when there's been a rough week and say, this is the gospel. When I can come on a Sunday morning and lift up my voice with a community of people who love Jesus, it reminds me of the gospel. It reminds me of God's love towards me. It reminds me of God's salvation. And I need that in my life. Because I'm not going to get that on my own. I'll get times of reflection, but I need people to speak the gospel into my life. And God's Spirit fills his people as we speak and sing together. This is an amazing gift of God that we get the opportunity to work in each other's lives and be that sort of community towards one another. And as our hearts are built with thanksgiving and respond with thanksgiving to who God is and what God has done, it results in satisfaction. It results in a reminder that in Christ we have everything that we need. We don't need to chase after all these other sorts of things, all this other covetousness that Paul says, all this other greed, whether it's sexual immorality or whether it's drunkenness or debauchery, whatever that behavior is. We don't need to do that, Paul says. We have Christ. And in case you forget that, God gifts us with a community of people that can remind us of that and walk alongside that and say, you don't have to do that stuff. That doesn't belong, not because it's just bad, but because you have something better. Jesus, you have something better. And so as we think about what we are as a community, we are not just a community who go through a certain motion. We're a community of people who God's Spirit fills and inhabits as we speak truth to one another, as we sing songs to one another, as we remind each other of the gospel and what we have to be thankful for. And it is all done out of reverence for Christ, as we see in verse 21. 
We submit to each other. We listen to one another because we love Christ and we love what he has done in others' lives and what he's doing in our life through other people speaking into our life. So let me ask you a couple questions as we kind of close this up and try to wrap up this big passage and leave a lot of unanswered questions in here, I'm sure. First question here, do you know your sin? What do you build your life around other than Christ? Paul gives us many alternatives here. There might be others. What, what sorts of things do you worship other than Jesus? Do you know it? And can you evaluate that? Does it give you what you're looking for? Second question, do you know your God? When you think of God, do you think of him as a loving father who as he looks at you, even with a life of idolatry, he doesn't see that, he sees Christ. Christ has been put on through faith. Do you know your God who looks at you and sees a beloved child? And third, do you know your Savior? Do you know Christ who gave himself up for you? Know your sin, know your God, know your Savior, and appreciate your community. Paul's going to direct us and say, there's all sorts of ways that we can, we can follow all these trivial things that just don't give us what we're looking for. That we can worship those things. But we're created for something else. We're identified as something else. We're identified as children of God who have been saved by Christ. But we will forget that and run after other idols. And that's why we need the Christian community. The Spirit of God works through the church to remind us of the gospel, remind us of our identity in Christ. And we need that. We certainly need that weekly, but we need that regularly. Are you involved in community? Is there people in your life that you get together with, to pray with, to confess sin, to confess idolatry and say, remind me of the gospel, remind me how I need to be thankful for what God has been doing. We have a number of different ways in that. There's community groups that meet weekly on Sunday nights, Wednesdays, and I think there's one meeting on Mondays now. We have, and you're welcome to join one of those communities because they read Scripture together, they pray together, they enjoy, they give thanks together. And the Spirit of God works in those communities. We have smaller groups of men and women who meet during the week at times and confess sin together, read Scripture together, and apply Scripture to our sin and our idolatry. We'd love to have you join those smaller groups as well. But just dive into community. Let the community of the church instruct you. and Let the Spirit of God work through that community in reminding us of what we have to be thankful for as we put off sin and follow Christ. Sin is not just a list of bad things to do. Sin is building our life around something else other than Christ. And God, in his love, says that will not satisfy you. That will not give you what you're looking for ultimately. Only Jesus will. And the Spirit of God works through the people of God to remind us of what we have to be thankful for. I'm going to pray here in a bit and ask God to fill our community. Ask the Spirit of God to work and remind us in our hearts and souls that Christ is great and satisfying. We'll lift up God in song together as we sing I think three songs, three more songs or more, I don't know. We'll sing a number of songs and lift up the name of Jesus, lift up the greatness of God and remind each other. We're singing not just to God. We're not just singing along with the band. The band's not just singing to us. We're singing to one another. And sometimes when we do this, I almost want to like say, let's just circle up because as you sing over there in the back, you're singing to this guy over here on the right. You're singing to one another. 
You're proclaiming, we'll sing a song saying uh, how great God is. You're saying to each other, God is great. And so we'll sing that, and we're not just singing in our own little bubble. We're part of a community that are singing and reminding, and I need to hear you sing, because I need your reminder that God is great and worthy of our worship. And so we'll sing as a community. At DR here, we always celebrate communion every week. We put out the bread and the cup on either side and invite you to come forward during any of those three songs to take the bread, which represents Jesus' body, dip it into the cup, which represents his blood, and remember God's saving work. Remember that Christ gave himself up for you. You can come up anytime during these songs and remember that. Be part of a community that is remembering and celebrating Jesus. At DR, we also give. We give because we're excited about the work of God and to connect our giving to our worship and connect our giving to understanding what Christ has done. We'll pass a little basket around. If you give online, if you're here for the first time, we don't want you to put anything in there or need you to put anything in there. It's just an opportunity for us to connect giving and generosity to our worship. Because God has given us much, we participate and we're generous as well. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you guys to stand up right now. I'll pray, we'll celebrate communion, we'll sing in response, and we'll remind each other of the work of God and all that we have to be thankful for. Let's pray. God, we love you because you first loved us. Lord, uh, we worship so many other things. We chase after idols. We chase after things that do not satisfy us, that cannot give us the joy that only you can give. We were created by you and for you, and yet we run after other things. We make idols out of sexuality, out of debauchery, things like that that Paul says. God, those aren't just, it's not just things that we're to put off. These are, these are things that, that separate us from you. But in your grace and mercy, you sent Christ to be our Savior, to give himself up for us so that we could be called beloved children. And as beloved children, we put off sinful behavior and we put on Christ because it's in Christ that we find joy and we find purpose and we find satisfaction. So God, help us to be thankful. Help us in times of anxiety or stress or concern or worry or fear Help us to be reminded of the gospel. And Lord, put other people in our lives that can do that, that can speak to us. Speak to us right now through the songs and hymns that we sing, through the words that we speak, the prayers that we pray. Speak to us. and We ask the Spirit, Lord, we ask your Spirit to fill us here. Fill us with an understanding of how great our God is. We love you, God. Christ, we ask that you are the center of our lives, that our thoughts and lives are directed towards you. And Spirit, we ask that you fill us with a knowledge of who you are and what you have done. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.